0: This is a very different crowd than last hour. I'll tell you that right now. It's, it's not good. A batch is different. Uh, first of all, just let me say thank you. You all, I don't know if you even know who Christian church starters are. Uh, we plant churches. It's a very simple name. Church starting is our business. And uh, so uh, I'm the executive director, and I am very thankful for your partnership with us. Uh, you guys have supported church starters for decades. And I am excited to actually be here to talk with you this morning. You won't hear me talk much about church starters because I'm here to talk about Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to do that, if that's all right with you all. Um, I'm parting from your series through Matthew. We're not going to talk about Matthew today. Forgive me. Um, and uh, you can stone me later, okay? Um, I, uh, you guys don't know me, and I don't know you that well. I know a few people. Uh, A few of you serve on our board. Um, But I want to let you in on a little secret about me. I am a movie buff. I love to go to the movies. And at this point in my life, I am exclusively dating um, Alamo Drafthouse Movie Theater. How many of you know what I'm talking about, Alamo Drafthouse? No one, because you don't have them here because it's a Texas thing. And I'm from El Paso. Anyways, the Alamo Drafthouse Movie Theater is uh, an incredible movie theater. They have the best seats. They're huge. They're comfy, and they recline. It's beautiful. They have tables in between each seat because they serve you real food. You can have a waiter that comes and serves you, and you get the good, and it's good food. It's not like bad food. It's good. It's tasty. Uh, My favorite thing to get there are flautas. It's fantastic. Um, But the real treat for me is they serve popcorn with real butter. Real melted butter. Let me say that again. Real melted butter. And I love it. I love getting my hands greasy. It's not that powdered stuff. It's so delicious. And and every seat there is fantastic. There's not a bad seat in the house. The front is good. The back is good. The middle is good. Just where you prefer to sit and how many people you prefer to sit by. It's a fantastic environment. But what I really love about Alamo Draft House is the pre-movie entertainment. If you get there early enough, before the, the trailers, for all the other movies, they have these um, hilarious short films they find from other countries, or YouTube or some other online humor source. They may be parodies or homemade films or previous versions of the films we were about to watch, but they're just clips of, from these things, and they're funny. I like to laugh. I don't care what movie it is. You know, if you're a Star Wars buff and you're very serious about it, they have funny parodies of Star Wars from Korea. It's great. And, it's, and it makes me laugh and it gets me ready for what is going to happen in the movie. I'm visually connected and I'm more expectant of what is coming. It's a warm-up. And for me, I would even say that the more, the more they show those, the more anticipatory, I become more expectant. I really want to see this movie. And I think that's the point of why they do that. They understand people. They understand how to grab our attention. They want us to get a taste of what's to come. The church, I believe, could stand to learn a thing or two from Alamo. Not so much the entertainment or the chairs would be nice, right? (laughs) Or even the food. Well, maybe except for the popcorn. We could have popcorn instead of donuts every Sunday. That would be awesome. But more so, we the church are supposed to be a taste of what's to come. We are supposed to be heaven on earth. Period. That is our job. It's to bring heaven to earth. Remember the Lord's Prayer? We 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 want heaven to be here. Help us do that, God. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah put it like this. How beautiful... The on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Good news, proclaim peace. Good tidings, proclaim salvation. I want you to notice what's not in that. It's not grow the kingdom or build the kingdom or add more programs or expand the kingdom. Because here's why we can't make the kingdom any bigger. The kingdom is already huge the bible the scriptures that use the language of the kingdom of god say things like we are to receive and enter and inherit the kingdom our job is to make the kingdom more tangible more visible through proclamation and demonstration what we do here sunday this proclamation process that we do of the singing and the worship and everything should not be our end all it should send us out to demonstrate what we have in jesus and that out there should come back here you know wherever we worship and it should produce this attitude of worship that flows to him In describing the mission of God, missiologist David Bosch said this. He said, mission was understood as being derived from the very nature of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, sending the church into the world, a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. This is what I want you to catch. There is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. The mission belongs to God and we're the tools. We are the sent ones. And I want us to understand that throughout the rest of the day. We are sent into this world. Jesus through his whole time here and before and beyond has been calling us to announce and demonstrate this reality. Even more, he is sending us into the world with this. Peace be with you as the father has sent me so I am sending you. That's how he prayed for his disciples. That's what he said to his disciples. We are his disciples. We are supposed to be that. We are sent into the world to proclaim and demonstrate the good news. We are sent as justice with love and mercy and grace and the spirit of peace and reconciliation, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the Father's glory. One of my favorite theologians and authors, N.T. Wright, put it this way. Despite what people think within the Christian family and outside of it, the point of Christianity isn't to go to heaven when you die. Now, we all want to go to heaven, yes? He's not saying that. That's not that, He's saying that, that that's not the main goal for us. In the midst of the, the disappointment with ourselves and the others, and we are paralyzed by concerns, when we expect too much, Jesus steps in and reminds us that he's got us and that we have a job to do here and now. Tomorrow will be my 24th wedding anniversary. Except my wife's not here. A year and a half ago, she died of breast cancer. And ever since then, I have questioned God's role. It's hard for me to be up here preaching. I'm not going to lie. I was a pastor at a church that I planted 12 years ago. I stepped away because I was just like, man, I can't do this without her. And here I am talking to you all. I'm shaking in my boots. I don't have boots on. (laughs) But they're they're my shoes. Because I don't know how to do this without her. And I have found myself becoming kind of like a hermit, you know. I pull back, I've got three kids. I got a kid in college, I got one that's gonna be a senior in high school, one that's gonna be an eighth grader. I'm not a mom. I don't know how to do mom things. I'm a dad. You break your leg, get up let's go, nurturing's new for me, and so I have every reason in my head to bail on the mission of Jesus, at least I think, and Jesus comes alongside me and he gives me these opportunities like talking to you guys, whether you like it or not, I get an opportunity to talk about him and to remind you of our mission, and I could quit and I want to, there are days I'm like, forget it. Because trying to convince people that we need to plant new churches is like, well, the worst thing you could possibly think of. (laughs) It's hard. And he comes alongside and he says, hey, I got you. The mission doesn't change. I mean, the mission of Jesus is why we gather here on Sunday is to remind ourselves that he has given us a mission to be in the world. It's why we go to other countries. In the last service, they talked about raising 500-some dollars at VBS for to send to another country to partner with what God is already doing there. It's why we plant churches. I don't plant churches so we have more churches. I just want a way to increase the awareness of Jesus' way. That's what we want. I mean, we, we should want people to say when they see us, I want to see the world that you come from. Because this isn't our home, right? If we follow Jesus, this is not our home. And we've never, how many of you have been to heaven? None of us, but we all want to go there because that's our home. And we are to be a taster for heaven, drawing people into the world that we come from. When I planted, when Jill and I planted Paseo Church about 12 years ago in El Paso, before we started having Sunday gatherings like this, we met in homes. We started with one, and by the end of six months, we had six. It was awesome. And we did all these amazing things. Our Bible studies were awesome. People were getting baptized in bathtubs. It was so cool. I got to baptize my two neighbors, who the first interaction with them was the middle finger and the F word. Okay, that was our first interaction. And by the end of the six months, I baptized them like, na na boo boo you know. <laughs> we did a lot of stuff. We hung out together. Almost every day I had it was full of coffee meetings and dinners and conversations. And we'd serve our community. And shoot, by the time we were one year old, we, I think we built two or three Casas Por Cristo homes over in Juarez. I mean, we just, we had this vibe and this energy. I was kind of cocky, you know? I'm like, yeah, look what I did in six months. But, due to contractual obligations with the organization that I lead now, <laughs> and my own desire to be some sort of big shot famous pastor, we started slowly shifting our time ...to be talking about our Sunday gathering. Where we were going to meet. How are we going to pay for the sound system. How much sound systems cost. We handed out thousands of door hangers... ...that said, hey, come to our church. It's better than that church over there, basically. And, you, and we just did all these things to get our name out there. To get Paseo's name out there. And guess what happened? People started getting grumpy. And when I say people, I mean me. <laughs> Petty issues became big issues. We did less for and with the community and more and more for Paseo. And we stopped hanging out together. We still had an energy. It was still a good energy, but it wasn't the same. And I'm not saying we did the wrong thing or the right thing in starting a Sunday morning gathering. That's not the point. The point I'm making is we lost focus. We started to abandon God's mission for our own mission. And I know... I became more entranced with the product of Paseo rather than the tool called Paseo. I was obsessing about how to get people to Paseo rather than joining Jesus in the renewal of all things, and I became possessive, and very territorial, and kind of mean. And that now that I'm leading a church planting organization, I have this opportunity. ...to do something different. What I want is I want to be adamant about our churches... ...sticking to the mission of common people... ...revealing Jesus' uncommon story. That I want to spend our time obsessing about radically reshaping... ...and healing our world and our cities and our neighborhoods... ...throughout the Southwest. Not just in New Mexico or West Texas... ...all throughout the Southwest. And along the border and into Mexico... Because I think our world and our towns and our cities and our neighborhoods need the church to start obsessing over them and not what we do on Sunday morning. It's interesting. I read this quote from The Happiness Hypothesis by this guy named Jonathan Haidt. And he said this. As the level of wealth has doubled or tripled in the last 50 years in many industrialized nations, the levels of happiness and satisfaction with life that people report have not changed. ...and depression has actually become more common. And Now you tie that to the fact that our drug problem... ...has entered a whole historic new era. According to the Centers for Disease Control... ...more Americans are now dying from heroin than gun homicides. More heroin deaths than gun homicides. Let that sink in for a second. And not only that, suicides have skyrocketed. According to a New York Times article... It says this, more Americans now die of suicide than in car accidents, and gun suicides are almost twice as common as gun homicides. That's a huge shift. And as a society, even with all our stuff, and all our tech, and all our access, and all our excess, we are not happier. We're lonelier. From where I sit, it seems the world is achingly lonely for more. And the church just seems to be, oh well. But we all sense it. We all say it. I see you on Facebook. Maybe not you personally. This world is horrible. Let's do this to change it. And what the world is aching for is what we have in our hands. I know it's a Sunday school answer that we need more Jesus. But we are at church. (laughs) We need him more. You need to be him more. I don't think it's by accident that our newest church in Juarez, Mexico is named Algo Mas, which means something more. That's their mission, to be something more, to be the Jesus. When we read the creation account in Genesis, what strikes me most is not all the cool things God created. That's cool. What I like more is Is that God makes the world because he wants to? Nobody forced God to make this place. Not only does he want this place, he loves each part of it. Because he makes this tree over here, and what's he say? It's it's audience participation time, okay? It's good. He makes humans. What's he say? (laughs) Right, we're the best. I'm the best of the best. I'm just kidding. I mean, he makes this and that, it's good. The world is good, we are good. there is value and worth, even in the midst of our brokenness. Yeah, we're sinners. but still, He sees us as good. And he wants us to see ourselves as good. I think it's why God, in Exodus 15, he identifies himself in a very stunning way. He says, "I am the Lord." I am the Lord who heals you. Not only is the one I'm I'm power powerful. I'm the creator. I'm this, I so care for you that I heal you. Our God is a healing God, and I'm attracted to that. When God, when Jesus walked among us, it's how He demonstrated who He was. A lame man walks over here. A girl's raised from the dead over here. When John the Baptist was. Doubting Jesus' role in the world, and if he was really the Messiah, Jesus sent all these people, all his disciples over to John and said, Hey, tell him, the the blind have seen, the lame have walked, the deaf hear. All the things that were promised in Isaiah are coming true. That means the kingdom of the healing God is here. He wants us. I'm, I'm telling you this because he wants us. He loves us. He sees us as good. He obsesses over us so much so, Jesus came, lived and died and rose again for us. That is the ultimate healing. He sent his only son, right? We say this all the time. He sent his only son to the world to die for us so that we may have life. We just sang about freedom in him. He obsesses, he loves us that much. And I believe we long for this healing, for peace, for mercy, for justice, for rest. We long for it because we're made for it. We're designed for it. We're nostalgic for a place we've never been. And when we see these little things, these little breakthroughs, or these big breakthroughs, the hints of the kingdom, when someone, when a child is baptized, we go crazy, don't we? We love it. Do you guys celebrate here? Is it a party? Or is it like, amen? <laughs> Praise Jesus. You know, or, or when, when orphans in Africa. Get a place to live. We're excited about that. When 76 kids show up for VBS in a week, that's something to celebrate. We, we get excited about it because they're little breakthroughs or big breakthroughs or they're breakthroughs of the kingdom of God coming to heaven. And our job is to say as followers of Jesus, look, isn't this what we all want? C.S. Lewis put it like this when he's talking about these things. He says, for they are not the thing itself. They are the only they are only the scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never visited. I love that. When Jesus walked the earth, he is challenging the people of God, the Jews that he encountered, to be God's people in a way that is radically different than anything they've ever imagined. He inclu- if you look at Jesus, he included everyone in his way. He was with the fringe of society, as well as those who were making the big decisions. He made sure they knew God's grace was reaching out further and farther than they ever expected or wanted, way beyond the borders that the people established. He wants to heal our whole person by breaking down walls, by breaking down the boundaries and the blockades we put up. Why? So we can breathe shalom and peace into the world. That's why he breaks these boundaries down. And one of my favorite moments where Jesus unpack this for us in a very visible way, in a very, very controversial way, is found in Luke chapter 10. And you guys know this story. Mary and Martha. Let's read it for a second. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Oh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, the interpretation that we're all familiar with this asks the question, how do you have a merry heart in a Martha world? How do you not be busy when you're working for Jesus? That's where we go with that. And that's okay. That is a good interpretation. And I'm not in disagreement with that. But I don't think that's the real issue here because there's so much more happening than just Martha taking a break and or Mary taking a break and Martha being busybody over here. I believe what is happening in this passage is Jesus was challenging how they, the Jews, were being God's people. And he was redrawing boundary lines. In this illustration that we have from the scripture, it was a redrawing of boundaries between men and women within Israel. He was blurring lines that had been clearly laid down. I think the real issue in this story is not Martha's workload in the kitchen. That might be part of the problem. And it's not, as some have suggested, that I've read this too, that the sisters had the hots for Jesus. And they were trying to be his girlfriends. That's wrong. So, no. And that Martha was jealous, that wasn't the case. The real problem is that Mary was crossing cultural lines between men and women. In Jesus' culture, as in many parts of the world today, houses are divided into male space and female space, and the roles were well defined. There was no this. What we're doing right here, there was no this. Men and women sitting together learning about Jesus, or learning from Jesus. And Mary crossed an invisible but very important boundary within the house, and another equally important boundary within the social world. There was a public room that's where the men met. and the kitchen and the other rooms that were unseen, that belonged to women. And only outside were children to play, or in the married bedroom would men and women mix. I mean, who did Mary think she was? Only a shameless woman would behave in such a way, right? And this wasn't a matter of superiority or inferiority, but of culturally appropriate division between two halves of humanity. Not only that issue, there there was another issue here as well. Women were not allowed to take the posture of a disciple. They weren't allowed to sit at the feet of the teacher. And not only has Mary crossed the man-woman divide... But she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. To sit at someone's feet meant quite simply to be their student. And to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. Whoa. I know in our culture it's like, that's no big deal. just as you are in a listening heart but what is received is here's this hoop you have to jump through here's this behavior list you have to abide by and there's a lot of talking and not a lot of listening and i got to tell you now that i'm not a pastor i spend a lot more time with people like this our the culture is done with that they're sick of it they want real they don't care that you've sinned they just want you to know they want to know that you know how to get out of that sin. They don't, they don't, they they want to know that there really is something more and they want to see it in your life. They don't want to hear it preached, they want to feel it, they want to understand it. So when I have to look at my own life and I look at the barriers that I set up. And I've set up some big barriers, folks. And I have then I have to look at this call upon my life from Jesus, this way of peace and this way of reconciliation and this way of doing god's kingdom differently a way where look at what he's doing done and will do needs to dominate my being and i have to ask myself some serious questions and maybe these are questions you can ask yourself if i really believe the world to come as a place of complete and perfect justice shouldn't i be a taster of justice shouldn't i stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves If I really believe the world is a place of love and mercy, shouldn't I be a taster of love and mercy? Shouldn't that be coming out of my whole being? If I really believe the world to come is a place of peace and reconciliation between us and God and us and one another in this unique community, shouldn't I be a taster of reconciliation? Shouldn't I be bringing peace instead of division? If I really believe the world to come is a place where Jesus is Lord shouldn't i be a taster that demonstrates and announces this reality look we've got one job and i find it to be in second corinthians 4:15 when paul writes this so that grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of god we are sent to reveal more grace to more and more people for the glory of God. Because we we need to be these common, everyday people who reveal Jesus' uncommon story in your lives, in your workplaces, in your families. That's our job. To reveal this God who rules over Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think that you have never given up on us. That we're still here in the midst of all the things we've done to each other as humans. How we have rejected you. How we have pushed you away. How we even deny that you exist as a, as a race. And you still continue to love. I'm thankful for that, Father. I'm thankful that you are big enough to handle our doubts, our troubles, our good things, our, all the stuff of life, and that you still pick us to do your work, to say your words, to be your hands, your feet, your mouth, and your heart. Lord, encourage us this week to be a reflection of your love for us your son's name I pray amen